You wouldn't believe how good I sound in the midst of them. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <clears throat> you know, um, I'm going to sh- share some reflections this morning. And uh, the nature of, of preaching is that it's, like all things in the kingdom, it's done by faith. And um, <clears throat> we don't often know when we bring something, uh, whether it's teaching, whether it's preaching, whether it's doing ministry, uh, if it's going to fly. You know what I mean? Anybody know that? When you pray for somebody, you don't know whether anything's going to happen. And um, I'm sharing that because I get the privilege today of bringing some biblical sort of content or some theological underpinnings uh, to what we've been experiencing this morning. And you need to know it's not by my design. Uh, God has a way of, of connecting all of the dots and pulling together things far beyond our capacity to do so. Amazing. Uh, And all of that is to say that I think uh, what God wants to do among us is to uh, reignite our expectation of God's presence in our midst, because some of you have lost that expectation. Does that resonate with anybody here besides me? So... um, God asked me, you know, in, in my heart, if that language is unfamiliar familiar to you, I sensed the Lord in my own heart saying that I should just share some reflections on the kingdom of God this morning. And I didn't know why, and I felt uh, grossly inadequate and insecure in doing so until the first song was played about hope and then faith and then expectation And then when Michael prayed, all of a sudden I began to say, oh God, you're really about to do something that will mess with your head. Because eye has not seen and ear has not heard and nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Can anybody say amen to that? That's just a scripture. So I want to give some theological underpinnings for really what we've been experiencing here this morning. And if you haven't been experiencing it, um, then perhaps toward the end of our service, you'll begin to see how the dots um, connect. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God in this present age. Uh, The coming of Jesus has actually invaded the kingdom of Satan in this realm that we know is this life. Um, Now, because Jesus came, all this will make sense here, I think, in a few minutes. Because the kingdom of God has invaded this age, because the kingdom of God has invaded 
this age then, this age, this life right now is the arena in which we can expect uh, God to do extraordinary things. Now the Bible calls those signs, and we get all excited, or wonders, uh, but it's really just the normal, uh, supernatural life of God invading the normalcy of our own lives. And um, these God encounters that we can experience and should be experiencing are really the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our midst. Um, now let me go back in the garden. You may remember that um, the rule of God on the earth was interrupted uh, by the fall of Adam, uh, which resulted in uh, this, the, the realm that we now see around us, the darkness that we see, the darkness that Michael was praying out of. We're living, we now have been established in the midst of a present time frame, and you and I actually carry the seeds of the kingdom. So back in the garden, the rule of God on earth was interrupted by Adam's fall, uh, which resulted in the state of Satan ruling. That's what sin did. Um, in the fullness of time, however, Jesus was sent, in my view, to recover what was lost and what had fallen in Eden. Let me say that again. When Jesus came, he was sent to recover the original state and that which was lost in Eden. Jesus was sent to right a terrible wrong. Um, Adam had made a huge mistake, a disastrous mistake. And you say, no, it wasn't a mistake. Yeah, it was. It was a mistake, and it's actually Adam's sin. And uh, this sin has affected every human being from the time of Adam even to the present. So the realm of this life then became darkened back in Genesis when Adam sinned, when Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God. And from that point on, all the way to the present, we're living in a realm of what the Bible calls darkness. Now, this is not mysterious stuff. This is just what you read when you read the Scripture. Now, what we find then is that Jesus was sent in the fullness of time to interrupt the darkness that began in Adam and continues to the present day. Uh, he was uh, sent to undo what the enemy sowed among us. Let me give you a biblical framework. 1 John 3.8 says this, He who sins is of the devil. Now, that's just what I said. When Adam sinned, he partook of the, 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 the devil, the enemy, Satan's uh, uh, lie, and he became darkened in himself. And the Scripture says in in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are now dead in our trespasses and sin. That's the dark realm that we're now living in. But, but 1 John 3, 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Uh, but for this purpose, the Son of God was made known or manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Yeah. Hello? Hello? <laughs> 
You see, the reason why Jesus was sent into this dark realm was so that he might destroy the works of the enemy, the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8, if you didn't catch the reference. So Jesus came to correct this ill, if you will, the wrong of Adam, Adam's sin, and he did so, of course, we could list all of the theological uh, issues. He did so by living a perfect life. Uh, He did so by never having sinned. He did so by obeying the Father meticulously in everything that he did. He ultimately offered himself on a cross. Jesus went to a cross in order to do something for you and for me that we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, some of us spend a whole lot of time trying to do for God what we think God wants us to do, and all He wants us to do is to believe on the Son whom He has sent, because He has done it all. He was sent for this purpose uh, to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus went to a cross. He purchased us from our our captivity to darkness and sin, and now we belong to him. So what we're talking about is the kingdom of God and where expectation and hope and faith and life come from. It doesn't come from yourself. It comes from Jesus who gave himself uh, fully in abandonment to a cross so that by his blood God could purchase you out of darkness and bring you into his the kingdom of his dear son. Now, uh, Jesus then came and he introduced the kingdom of God. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to push back and start back in the ministry of Jesus. And if you turn to uh, Mark chapter uh, 1, I'll simply read a couple of verses. When Jesus came, he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is now at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came announcing that there's a new sheriff in town, essentially. He came preaching that I have come to destroy the works of the enemy, and his first message was uh, the kingdom of God, which has been lost through Adam's sin and is present in every person's life, I have come now to declare to you there's a new kingdom breaking into this realm. And our response to that is to repent. That that simply means to turn from our preconceived notion of how we live life because of our own sin and fallenness and to embrace the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. See, Jesus was the king. So this, I believe, in my view, Mark 1 Uh, 14 and 15 becomes the thesis statement of everything Jesus said thereafter and everything he did thereafter. Can I get an amen from that? Amen. Amen. Okay, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this thesis statement then concerning the life of Jesus, everything you see him teach and everything you see him do from this point on simply um, was clarification to that thesis statement. The kingdom is at hand. Everything that he did was commentary on that statement. The kingdom is now among you. The kingdom is now near you. The kingdom has now broken into your experience. The kingdom of God is now in you. 
So Jesus then introduced the kingdom in his coming. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, his, his living, he introduced the inbreaking of the, rail, the realm and the rule of God into this realm. Uh, now, the kingdom uh, in, was introduced by Jesus by what he said, the word. Uh, but Jesus actually illustrated the kingdom by what he did. Jesus introduced the kingdom by what he said, but he illustrated the kingdom by what he did. Now, that's real important because the church at large has sort of stalled out on what Jesus said. And we say what Jesus said, but we don't know very much about what Jesus did. And therefore, what we're to do. So we can stall out in the church. I'm talking about the church anywhere. We can stall out in listening to Jesus and to his word, which is an introduction to the kingdom, but we, we're not very good at the illustrations of the kingdom. That is being the kingdom in our midst and beyond our midst. Uh, so Jesus introduced the kingdom by what he said. He illustrated the kingdom by what he did. All that Jesus taught was about the kingdom. All that Jesus did was about the kingdom. Uh, we need to be telling about the kingdom. God is ruling, but we also need to be doing the kingdom. We need to be doing the works of the kingdom, undoing the works of darkness. Jesus came uh, in order to, the purpose for which Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. I think that's why Matt stood up and he had this, this word that some of us are stalled out. Uh, now, we can beat ourselves up about being stalled out or we can just recognize we're stalled and get back in the flow. That's really what God is after. He doesn't come to condemn us. So the word illustrates the kingdom, the works illustrate. Um, the, the word illuminates the kingdom, and the works illustrate the kingdom. Now, Jesus came, let me back up. Jesus came and introduced the kingdom and illustrated the kingdom by what he said and by what he did. Now, to push this further out, uh, Jesus will someday come again, the second coming of Jesus, and he will culminate the kingdom. See, in his first coming, he came and introduced the kingdom, but he will come in his second coming, and he will culminate the kingdom. And in between, we have the Holy Spirit guaranteeing that we're going to be part of that culmination in that kingdom. Okay? Uh, so Jesus will culminate the kingdom. At the first coming, Jesus introduced the kingdom. At the second coming, he will culminate the kingdom. But now is the point. The kingdom is therefore between the coming of Jesus and his introduction to the kingdom, the inbreaking of the kingdom, and his second coming, the culmination of the kingdom. We're in this realm in between, and that's where we're now living, in between the times. And it's that that Jesus had a lot to say, the kingdom of God uh, is therefore already present through the coming of Jesus, but it is, well, not yet present because it's not yet culminated in the eschaton, the, the last things when the kingdom of God is handed over and all of the nations of the earth become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. There will be a culmination, but right now we live in this realm in between the times. Uh, 
I like this statement, we are here right now in the presence of the future. We are right now living because Jesus came and introduced the kingdom and we're waiting for him to ultimately culminate the kingdom. The time in between, the time in which we're now living, we're living in the presence of the future for those who have eyes to see it, for those who have ears to hear it, for those who have hearts to perceive it. You see, but the problem is we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Our earthen vessels like to see everything. But seeing anything doesn't move God's heart. What moves the heart of God? Faith. You see, the just, Romans says, those who have made, been made just, justified, righteous in Jesus, shall walk a certain way. How shall they walk? By what they see? They walk by faith. You see, that's the point, I think, that God wants to stir up this congregation to begin to walk by faith again and no longer by sight. There is a way that seems right to a man and a woman, but the end thereof can be death. Jesus wants to release himself in our midst to believe again. He wants to release himself in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Jesus wants to release faith within our hearts again, an expectation in our lives again, that God not only introduced the kingdom, and he's not only going to come back and culminate the kingdom, but right now he still he is the king in this realm, already present, though not yet fully manifested. Let me look at a couple of scriptures, and I'll land this airplane for you. In Matthew chapter 13, if you'll turn there, I want to talk for just a minute about, I want to talk about the purchase of the kingdom. I want to talk about the presence of the kingdom, and I want to talk about the power of the kingdom. Just real short here. In Matthew chapter 13, look at verse uh, 44, if you would. There are a couple of parables that are told here. Now, these two parables, one is called um, a treasure hidden in a field, and all of you are familiar with that. And the second one in verse 45 and following is about this pearl of great price. Now, in Hebrew parallelism, big word or phrase, um, that simply means that Jesus was uh, actually telling one truth, but he illustrated it in two different ways. One truth. Let's read about that truth. Um, again, verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then hid that treasure, and for the joy over it, then he went and, and he goes and sells all that he has in order to buy the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of immense value, went and sold all that he had in order to buy that pearl. Now, the treasure hidden in the field, I think there's, sometimes we read far too much into Scripture. Jesus was talking to common folks, and he said, can you imagine a field 
in which somebody walking, the field's for sale, presumably, and a guy's walking along, and he stumbles on something, corner of something, and, and he digs it up, and there's his chest, and it's filled with immense treasure. Gold doubloons, you know, you know I don't know, this, this, an immense treasure, and he realizes the field is for sale. He covers it back up, and then he goes away and sells everything that he has in order to buy the field. You're the treasure. I'm the treasure. Jesus gave everything that he had. God gave his best. God gave it all away in order to purchase the field, the sins of every person in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave, his only begotten son, that whosoever. He purchased the sins of every person in the world in order to find the treasure, those who would say, whosoever willed the elect of God. The treasure hidden in the field. If that weren't clear enough, he goes on and he told the second parable of this pearl of great price. And here we find that Jesus, that Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven. See, that we're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Now, this isn't you or me seeking pearls because you could bring up very costly pearls and fake pearls, and I probably wouldn't know the difference, and probably you wouldn't either. But this is a pearl merchant. He understood pearls. He made his livelihood by pearls. He would seek them out. He would find them, presumably buy them and sell them. Well, this merchant came across a pearl that was of amazing value. And he said to it, whoa, I got to have that pearl. And immediately he went away and he sold everything that he had in order to purchase that one pearl. Who's the pearl? Jimmy, it's you. Catherine, it's you. See, it's you. You're the pearl. And now, the kingdom of heaven, therefore, Jesus said, is like one who finds hidden treasure or um, a great pearl, and he purchased us by having given everything that he has for us. Jesus went to a cross and died for you. And for me, that's why the good news is good. That's why we dare not sit in these walls and keep that to ourselves. We have been purchased by an enormous price, and therefore you and I no longer belong to ourselves. Hello? But to him who gave his life for us and now lives his life in us, we were purchased at the cost of the blood of Christ. Couple more scriptures and I'll end now in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I want to talk just about uh, the presence. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's the sin of Adam and our participation in it that we talked about earlier. He delivered us from the power of darkness and has now delivered us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, you have been placed in the kingdom, having been delivered out of a kingdom of darkness, and you've been placed into. If it is true that you are among those for whom Jesus died, for those 
for whom Jesus came and gave it all, if you have said yes to Jesus, I want in. This is the greatest news I have ever heard. Take me, O God, just as I am without one plea, but that the blood of Christ was shed for me. If you're in that lot, you're the pearl. You're the treasure. But he's delivered you out of, therefore, darkness, and he has delivered you into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom... You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, I'm afraid that in America, this may be astonishing to some of you, but I believe in America, uh, America the American church has fundamentally misunderstood the gospel. Uh, we, the point of the gospel is not the forgiveness of your sin. <gasps> Now just wait a minute, it includes the forgiveness of your sin. But the gospel is not just that your sins are forgiven and someday you're gonna to go to heaven. Forgiveness of sin in the scripture is always a means to an end. And that is to participate in the kingdom. The end of the gospel is the kingdom where our sins are forgiven so that he who is now holy and righteous can now come and live, inhabit your heart. That's what makes you part of the kingdom. It's not just that your sins are forgiven and someday you're going to go to heaven. It's now you belong, you have been delivered out of a kingdom of darkness and delivered into a kingdom, a realm where now God is ruling and the kingdom of God has come near and he's now living his life in your heart. The question is, what will you now do about it? That's the question for Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom is in fact, we belong to a king. And the church in America simply comes day in and day out, and we shake our head. Yes, we believe that is true about the kingdom. We understand the, the word of the kingdom, but we know very little about the work that illustrates the kingdom. And see, now I think that's what God is getting ready uh, to, to um, explode within us here at Myrtle Grove. The question is, will we be willing to allow him uh, to have his way with us. We've talked about the purchase of the kingdom. I've talked about the presence of the kingdom, the presence of the king. The king lives in your life. The kingdom of God has now come near. The kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is in you because the king is in you. Hello? The king lives in you. And finally, he brings a power God gives us the power to be obedient to that king so that uh, uh, the highest form of worship and praise is obedience to the king who lives within the realm of your heart. That's what God is after in your life. Now Jesus said lots of hard sayings in the scripture. One was, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's a hard saying, isn't it? What if Jesus would walk in the room and would say, you come with me, and he takes you to the back um, hallway back here where nobody else is around, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not really obey me? Now, I can't answer that question for you, but I can guarantee you Jesus would look for an answer from each one of us. Have we been taken out of a kingdom of darkness 
and delivered into the kingdom of his son, and for what purpose has he actually done that? So that the king would live in your heart, the purchase of the kingdom, the presence of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom. And now here's where I want to end, and that is to live as men and women of the king, that is to represent the inbreaking of the kingdom now, which is already but not fully manifested, requires risk. And that's what you and I in our flesh hate. Hello? Come on, smile at me. We hate it. We hate taking risk. Why? Well, there's lots of different reasons. Maybe we're fearful. You know, we, we, we give opportunity for people to come forward for prayer. And sometimes we're fearful. What will people think? Who cares what people think? You see? Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's just good old unbelief. But remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to him must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So this, this today is not in any way a, a condemning word. It's a stirring word. It's a word for you to begin to grasp onto what God has already done in you for the sake of what's he, what he wants to do through you yet in the days to come. In James chapter 4, verse 2, it says you have not because you ask not. Now maybe I'll have time in the next two or three minutes here to to describe why I think we lose heart and, and no longer have an expectation. It's because the kingdom is already, but not yet. The kingdom's already, but it's not yet. Which means the kingdom sort of is, is um, well, it's intermittent from my point of view. It's intermittent. And... Uh, we seek prayer for ourselves, and there are times when we, if we're honest, would say it would appear that nothing has happened. And you only do that once or twice, and pretty soon it's like, I'm not putting it out there again. Do you know what I'm saying? See, we lose, we lose heart. We lose the expectation. Uh, but let me look at this last scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, if I can uh, find it here real fast. Hebrews chapter 2, and I commend this to your own study, and I'll begin looking at verse 3 of chapter 2. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him and verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And then it talks about the son being made, you know, what is man that thou should be mindful of him, the son of man, etc. Uh, you have put all things under his feet. And then verse 8 and 9, I want to end with this verse. It says, for in that he, God, put 
all things in subjection under his feet, he left nothing that is not put under him. So everything's under the feet of the king. Now let me read on. But now, in between the inbreaking and the conclusion, the, the beginning, the, the introduction and the culmination of Jesus, but it says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. That's why we give up. Because we pray and we think nothing has happened. And we finally just say, well, I guess God doesn't want to get it, give it anymore. But look how it ends. It says, but we, but we do not yet see all things put under him. But here's where you have to live, verse 9. But we see Jesus. You see, it's not a matter of what God has done for you or hasn't done for you. If you begin to look at what God hasn't done in your body or in your circumstances, your eyes are then on what God hasn't done. And I hear this from Matt all the time, and he's been so helpful to me. We can't look at what God hasn't done. We look at Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, it, we're not looking at what God hasn't done. We're looking to him, and we begin to get what he wants to give us. But we give up because our focus begins to go to what God hasn't done rather than what God wants to do. So let's pray. The inbreaking of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. It is already present, though it is not yet fully experienced in the world. But God has put all things under his feet, and even though not everything is under his feet, we look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to reflect upon the things of the kingdom of God. Yes. God, thank you for your life among us. Lord, I'm going to just, I just sense we're going to take just a couple of minutes and let Holy Spirit who is alive and living his life in us to minister to us in quietness. And then I'm going to have Dean just begin when he's ready and ask the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a novel idea? Ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do in you what he wants to do through you, how he wants to live his life going forward that will revolutionize and change the nature of darkness in this realm into light. Just spend a few moments and then we'll close in prayer.